It's a delightful day to be together and to worship the Lord and to open his word. So let me invite you to do so with me this morning to the New Testament uh, letter known as Second Timothy. We're in Second Timothy chapter 4 uh, this morning. And you can find this text if you're using a pew Bible on page 965. Uh, but you know, some, some New Testament books derive their name from their author. And we think of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and James and others. And others derive their name from their recipient. Uh, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, First uh, and Second Timothy fit that bill. And so these are letters written by Paul, the apostle, to Timothy, uh, his friend, his brother in Christ, and in his own words, his son in the faith. Now, Paul describes Timothy as his son in the faith, and that automatically tells us that the relationship between Paul and Timothy was like that uh, of family. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever had a friend or a mentor that was so loved and so cherished by you that you considered him or her family? Well, if you're a believer and you're connected to a local church, then this is what the church should be. The church, brothers and sisters and fathers and and mothers in Christ. In other words, this is not simply a, a place that we gather or a club that we join, but this is a family to which we belong. We're called to learn from each other and lean on each other and love each other as brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in the faith. Church, we are family. And as our senior adults led us in elements of worship this morning, we celebrate family. We celebrate church family. We give God thanks for an elder generation of believers teaching and modeling uh, the faith uh, to the rest of us. That's one of the things I love most about this uh, church is that we're not a church uh, for young people. We're not a church for old people. We're a church that's comprised of people from every age group. And just as Paul encouraged and instructed Timothy, may mature followers of Jesus Christ continue encouraging and instructing here at Meadowbrook. And may we see a, a, a cycle of generational discipleship take deep root here and carry on for decades to come. I don't know exactly what that looks like. It looks a little bit different in different contexts. But maybe uh, that looks like uh, some of us who are younger looking around and, and finding uh, a white-haired man or woman and saying, Hey, will you, will you teach me? Uh, will you model what it looks like to be uh, a faithful husband or wife? Or will you impart some wisdom to me on uh, raising my children? Will you teach me what it looks like to serve in the church and to be a student of God's word? Maybe on the other end, that looks like some uh, some older, more mature folks uh, grabbing uh, a young man or young woman or young family and saying, hey, I, I see you at church from week to week. I don't know you very well. I'd love to know you more. Can we go to lunch today? I, I'd love to come alongside you and become a prayer warrior for you and your family. And so as we prepare to look at God's word this morning, uh, picture a senior, Paul. Delivering a heartfelt message to a faithful yet young preacher boy, Timothy, calling him to honor Christ by finishing well. Let's look at what he has to say. As you find your place in God's word, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Let me uh, invite you uh, to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of, of God's holy word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. Paul writes... He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering 
And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you again for the chance to gather in your name this morning to open your word and Uh, Lord, we acknowledge in faith that um, your word is true, that it's alive, that it's active, that it is from you, and that it communicates to us what it is uh, you want us to know. And so by the presence and power of your spirit, Lord, would you instruct us now? Would you teach us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us, Lord, that we might hear and respond to your word? And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. So here's a message from Paul, uh, Paul writing to a younger Timothy, and Paul is writing uh, during the final season of his life and his ministry, and he writes as one who is suffering on account of his faith in Jesus. Now that's hard for us to imagine, uh, but Paul is in prison. He's in Rome. Uh, He's not only in prison, but he's awaiting execution in prison under Nero because he won't stop telling people about Jesus. Now, he didn't know when his final day would be, but he knew that he was close. Of course, neither do we know when our final day is going to be, our final month, our final even year in in this life. And we don't know if we're going to become senior adults. We don't know if we're going to become super senior adults or even just adults. Only God does. And so we ought to live every single day as if it is the day that we might transition from this life to our eternal home. And Paul is absolutely bent on finishing well, and he calls Timothy to do the same. Now, there are a couple of rich images that Paul uses in verse 6 to describe and uh, portray his pending death. Uh, a drink offering and a departure. So I want to deal with those for just uh, a moment. To describe death as a departure pictures a ship. Uh, lifting its anchor, untying its ropes, and sailing out across the horizon. That's, uh, this word is used uh, in that way in the New Testament uh, time period. One author writes about that. He says, the believer never really dies. She just departs, joyfully sailing to a better place. You know, what a beautiful uh, way to picture death for the believer. Departure. And then the other image, a drink offering, recalls a sacrifice. A sacrifice drawn from the Old Testament sacrificial system where wine was poured out on the base of the altar that accompanied a sacrifice uh, of a lamb. In other words, God ordained it to regulate the worship uh, that his people brought to him and it was pleasing to him. Several years before this, about five years before Paul writes Second uh, Timothy, he writes Philippians and he uses the same metaphor to describe the possibility of his death. He writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, he says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, he's talking about the hardships that he's dealing with as a follower of Jesus. He says, But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. You see, when he wrote those words, death was a possibility. It it may come soon or it may not. Paul didn't know. But now as he writes 2 Timothy, it's a pending certainty. 
Paul longs to to finish well. And though his earthly circumstances are grim, he is not depressed, he is not discouraged because he knows that finishing well means departure brings delight. Finishing well means departure brings delight. I was privileged to know all uh, of my grandparents as a child, uh, but none of them lived in uh, my hometown of Jonesboro, Arkansas, and so that meant we always had to travel to see them, and I'm sure many of you can uh, relate to that. Uh, one set lived a couple hours to the south in Little Rock, and the others lived uh, in Kentucky, about nearly six hours uh, northeast. And uh, because that was the case, uh, we usually arrived when we, when we went to see them uh, late at night. You know, six hours is a long journey for anyone, uh, especially for kids, and, and we'd often get there well after bedtime. But, you know, even now, I, I can picture my pa and my granny, uh, 10 or 11 p.m., and, and mind you, this is uh, a lady that uh, nearly always is asleep by 8 p.m. I, I can picture them awake and alert, uh, coming to the side door of their house in the country uh, upon hearing us turn down their gravel road and greeting us with smiles on their faces, welcoming us in, uh, saying, are you hungry? Uh, can I get you something to eat? Make yourself at home. And as strange as it sounds, at this season in Paul's life, uh, I think Paul could picture his Savior standing at the door of heaven with a smile on his face and saying, come on in. Are you hungry? Let, let me give you something to eat. Make yourself at home. You see, departure brings delight because departure for believers also implies an arrival. And Paul describes his His death as a drink offering, he is saying that the pouring out of his life would be an offering of worship to Jesus. Friends, he's saying that that God is glorified and exalted in the death of those who finish well, of those who depart this life trusting in Jesus. Finishing well means departure brings delight to God. Finishing well means departure brings delight to God. What a perspective on death that we believers need to take in. The psalmist said it this way, right? Precious, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. You see, when God's people remain faithful in this life, even unto death, God is glorified. He is satisfied. He is pleased. Finishing well means departure brings delight to God, but not only to God, also to us. To us, to those who are believers. To those who know the the living God and the hope of eternity with Him. To those who, who know that the best things and the best life, contra to a popular message in our day, even being championed in the name of the church, contrary to Joel Osteen's message and and many others, the the best life is not found here on earth, but is found with Jesus in heaven. Friends, Paul says as much in his letter to the Philippians, he says that he's torn between two things. He says he's torn between life here on earth and life in heaven, laboring for the spread of the gospel here and life with Christ there. He writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, I am torn between the two. I'm torn. My, my heart is, I can't make up my mind. I'm torn between the two. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. By the way, same word, depart, same root word, depart, that's used by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. I desire to depart, to sail away and be with Jesus. 
which is better by far. Essentially, Paul says, I've got a lot of work left to do. There's a lot left to be done here. There's a lot that the Lord has for me here, but I'd rather sail away and be with Jesus. This life is tough, friends. It can be brutal. It can be challenging. It can be unjust and, and painful. The guilty often go unpunished, and the innocent are often oppressed. Here is Paul, a pioneer missionary who's persecuted and in pain, but he does not despair. Why? Because he knows that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And he knows in his own words, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Friends, finishing well means departure brings delight to us because for believers, death is gain. Unhindered and uninterrupted access and enjoyment of God Most High, Father, Spirit, and Son, the one who made us and the one who knows us and the one who sustains us day by day, the one who calls us and rescues us and provides for us and who satisfies us with his goodness and his care and his love. This is why Paul could say, uh, I desire to depart and be with Christ. This is why Charles Spurgeon, that prince of preachers and 19th century England would write, to come to thee, to come to God, is to come home from exile. It is to come to land out of the raging storm, to come to rest after long labor, to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. Church, let me ask you this morning, do you love Christ like that? Do you love and cherish the Savior? Do you long to be with Jesus? If not, I... I wonder if you really know Him. Do you know Him? Do you know the love of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the One who took the penalty and pain for us that we might go from guilty to innocent in God's eyes, that we might be set free and forgiven, that we might know the hope of eternity. Those who know Him have a desire not only to be with Him, but also to finish here well. But finishing well is not all about departure. It's also about endurance. If it were all about departure, then we might as well give up on this life. It's not worth living. But our contrary, God's word declares that finishing well means enduring through hardships. From a perspective of faith and the one true living God, finishing well means enduring through hardships. To endure hardship, chapter 4, verse 5, is part of God's central exhortation to Timothy in this letter. In other words, according to God's word, and certainly according to Paul, it's assumed that there will be hardships to endure. He says, don't run away from trials. He says, don't deny them or flee from them. Finishing well means enduring through them and doing so by faith in God. One of our dear sisters in Christ, uh, Rebecca Hall in a faithful member of this local church family uh, is battling a difficult and rare brain cancer. You know this as her church family. We've been praying for her and continue praying on and seeking the Lord's intervention and healing. And he has worked in mighty, mighty ways. But Rebecca posted this on Facebook just a couple of days ago, used with her permission. She said, I don't know how my story will end, but nowhere in the text will it ever read. 
she gave up. Friends, trusting God in the midst of trials is an expression of endurance and faith. Enduring through hardships. This is why the author of Hebrews instructs us to throw off everything that hinders us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us what? Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. May we run with endurance. May we run with perseverance. May we run after Jesus Christ. Of course, the race there is the race of of a life well lived for the Lord. The race that the author of Hebrews describes and the race that Paul is describing is not a sprint. This is not a 100 meter dash. This is a marathon. The race of a life devoted to Jesus through joys and triumphs. Bonuses and children, babies, vacations. But also a life devoted to Jesus through sadness and sorrow, heart attacks and cancer and depression and layoffs and tornadoes. And for the elder Paul, his final season is a season of suffering. In fact, for him, it's more than a season. It's been season after season after season of enduring hardships encountered for the cause of Christ. But the gospel provides hope. A hope that gives an eternal perspective even in the midst of suffering right here. You see, gospel hope is hope for a future day that is better than today. It isn't wishful thinking, but it's anticipated certainty. It is a hope that impacts present day living, like if perhaps a trusted financial advisor and expert said to you, gold prices are about to skyrocket, go buy some gold. I'm willing to bet that most of us would follow that advice. If this was someone we trusted, we'd go out and we'd buy some gold, uh, thinking that in the end, uh, we'll make an incredible return on our investment. You don't have to fully understand why or how in order to capitalize on the opportunity to do so. And likewise, here Paul is providing for Timothy, and not just for Timothy, for all the church, an eternal perspective. He's calling Timothy, and the Spirit is calling us to persevere suffering with faith in the Sovereign One. It's calling us to persevere suffering in this life. Persevere suffering in this life with faith in the sovereign one. Of course, that's much easier said than done. And I dare say that the portrait of ourselves that we provide for one another Sunday after Sunday does not adequately represent the level of suffering happening throughout the week. Cancer and depression and heart attacks, divorce and unfaithfulness, addiction and unemployment, guilt and shame and identity crisis. These are only some of the devil's favorite words that all too often ring true in our lives. See, in the midst of suffering, Paul declares, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. Perhaps imagery of an athletic competition. Talk about finishing well. We're not talking about uh, the Golden State Warriors for you uh, basketball fans. Uh, What uh, a team that year after year, game after game in the playoffs, they finish the game well. The last two games have been down by double digits, and yet they come back and, and win the game. No, imagery provided here is, I think, imagery of warfare. 
but not portraying valiant armor or impressive stature, but of spiritual devotion in the midst of the devil's onslaughts. So picture a bruised and broken Paul riding from a dungeon saying, keep it up. Keep it up, Timothy. Keep it up, believer. Fight the good fight. Devote yourself to Jesus Christ no matter the cost. To persevere suffering with faith in the sovereign one may often mean saying things like, God, I I don't know why this is happening. God, I, I don't understand this. I don't even like this, but I love and I trust you because you are the sovereign one. And I'm willing to bet that many of our senior adults could recount lives of hardship, certainly seasons of their lives, recounting hardships that often warranted such a response of faith. Paul writes, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And to finish the race is to live with your eyes on Jesus. Live with your eyes on on Jesus. Notice that Paul doesn't say that he won the race. He says he finished the race. He finished the course that the Lord had for him, exemplifying the call of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, to fix our eyes on Jesus. The author of that text instructs us in verse 3 of chapter 12. He says, consider him, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, to live with your eyes on Jesus is to do everything Every day with an awareness of Christ's person and presence and with a desire to honor him in it. So wake up and lay down. Go to work. Go to school. Work, eat, play, study, neighbor, parent, cook, clean, spend money, recreate, communicate, contemplate with your eyes fixated on the Lord Jesus Christ with an awareness of his person and presence and a desire to honor him. And it's only when we fix our gaze upon Jesus that we will be able to join Paul in saying, I have kept the faith. You see, to keep the faith is to cling to the gospel. To keep the faith is is to cling to the gospel. It is to contend for and to cherish and to guard the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, a message that was often distorted in Paul's day and a message that is very often distorted in our day, which is why he would tell young Timothy in chapter one, verse 13, he says, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. He says, guard the good deposit. That is the message of the faith. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. This first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verse 20, he says the same thing. He says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Just turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. In other words, the message here is ensure that the central truths regarding sin and salvation, Jesus and the cross, repentance and faith, remain at the center of your life and at the heart of the church's message. Cling to the gospel. Paul writes, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 8, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, he says, but also to all who have longed for 
is appearing. Finishing well means departure brings delight. Finishing well means enduring through hardships. And finishing well means permanent righteousness. Finishing well means permanent righteousness. I I think this is what Paul means here. I think that he is saying that his coming crown of righteousness is the final and forever state of right standing with God that is graciously given to all believers. You see, in heaven, sin will no longer stand in the way. There'll be nothing left to disrupt our fellowship with our Maker ever, ever again. Permanent righteousness for those who know, love, and long for Jesus. No guilt, no shame, no more need to repent. Simply right standing before the Almighty God. And so what does is, what is finishing well mean for the believer? I think this is it in a nutshell. Finishing well means loving and longing for Jesus. Finishing well means loving and longing for Jesus. Is your heart set on Jesus? Is your heart set on being with Him on the return of Christ? Friend, your, your love for and your desire to be with Jesus is a good measure, I think, of whether or not you really know Him. Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Are you waiting for Him? See, just one page over in the Bible, one page to the right, we have another one of Paul's letters. It's a letter to Titus. Another uh, man that he calls his son in the faith. And this is what Paul says to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. He says, we're waiting. He says, we wait for the blessed hope. He says, Titus, you and me, and not just you and me, but everyone who calls on Jesus as Lord is waiting for the blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? He tells us. He says it's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, our hope is in being with Him. Our hope is in Christ's return for us. And as we wait, Paul says, we are eager to do good, to live for Him. Finishing well means loving and longing for Jesus. Do you love and long for Jesus? I want to close with a story. Perhaps a story that I've shared before. But I remember a number of years ago. Going on uh, sort of the vacation of a lifetime. Having the opportunity. I think it was after my freshman year of college. To go uh, with a family to vacation in Alaska. Uh, some of you have done this trip. Or a similar trip. I say vacation of a lifetime. Because I, I don't foresee or anticipate getting to do it again uh, in my lifetime, uh, but Alaska's got nothing on heaven, so I look forward uh, to that. But uh, I, I do remember on this trip having the opportunity, one of our stops was in a place called Talkeetna, uh, Alaska, and having the opportunity to go fishing uh, in the Talkeetna River for salmon uh, and during the summer salmon uh, run. And I remember being excited about that trip and waking up early and being dropped off at the uh, local bait and tackle shop to await my guide. And as I stood around, there were a couple guys that were uh, manning the, the tackle shop and uh, uh, they struck up a conversation with me. I remember one of them being especially uh, extroverted and outgoing and friendly. And uh, I'll be honest, my mind was set on fishing. I was sort of uh, tucked away in my introverted self. I'm ready to go. Don't really want uh, a conversation right now. But I remember him asking me uh, what I was studying. Uh, and I had just decided at the time that I was uh, going to study Christian ministry at Washita Baptist 
university, and so I had begun getting my feet wet in uh, that, and he asked me uh, something like, well, why are you going to do that? Why would you want to do that? And so feeling a, a bit defenseless, I, b- I began to come up with um, some sort of explanation that I thought might uh, finish the conversation. I said something like, well, you know, I, I just church has been influential for me, and I, I think God is uh, wanting me to do this. He's called me to, to, to prepare for a life of ministry in the church or elsewhere. Uh, and I remember sort of rambling uh, through that, and this guy just all of a sudden cutting me off and saying, uh, young man, just tell me you love Jesus. And loving Christ is the heart of what we are called to do. And it is at the center of what provides the most joy and satisfaction and delight for us. And so, yes, this morning I challenge all of us on the basis of God's word to respond to the truths of of a life committed to Christ. To to persevere suffering by uh, trusting uh, in the sovereign God. And to cling to the gospel and to contend for the faith and all these sort of things that can be applied in specific ways. But ultimately, I want to ask you this morning, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love and long to be with him? For I am absolutely convinced that if you know him, if you've turned to him in faith, if you believe the message of the scriptures, then you will love him. May we be a people who love and long for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and live for him. Amen. Father, would you help us to do so? Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and faith to believe? Would you capture our hearts with who you are? Lord, there is much that we don't understand. There is much uh, that is beyond us. Lord, there is much that requires much study and even then at the end of the day uh, requires us uh, to bow before you with humble faith. But Lord, we acknowledge that your word is clear on the message of the gospel. Lord, your plan is devised and developed and thought up before the foundation of the world, before we were ever on the scene to rescue us from sin and darkness and bring us into the kingdom of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, overwhelm us with the truth of the gospel that we fall in love with Jesus Christ. So much so that we live for you, that we cling to you, that we're honest with you, yet submissive to you. Lord, lead us in a way that glorifies your name. May we respond now in a way that's consistent with your word and your character and that glorifies the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we gather. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.